Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, David Bentham, VP of Global Sales Development at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Redefining Outbound. Um, Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being um, joined by John Bissett. I hope I, 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 I butcher everybody's names. John, um, that's yeah. the way I start every episode. Um, so I apologize for that. But I'll, I'll, um, uh, a partner at uh, Slingshot Edge, um, because I butcher everybody's names, we always um, start by also asking the um, uh, guests to introduce themselves uh, so that, that way they can make up for my butchering. Um, so, yeah, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and, um, yeah, what you're about? Yeah, well, you, you pronounced that beautifully. David, I have to say, most people go Bisset. They're not sure if there's a, a French variation, but it is just plain old Bisset, John Bisset. So, yeah, you got it spot on. Perfect. And, uh, absolutely right. I work with Slingshot Edge. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And kind of, can you tell us anything about like what what you're currently doing? What what um yeah, like what 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 your background is? I suppose. Yeah. So I guess I went into sales fairly late. I was a late starter, thirty one which is quite late these days. I was an engineer before that. I was a little bit hesitant about moving into sales for some reasons we can discuss. But anyway, I made the transition. I've spent the last 18, 19 years selling software tech. The majority of that has been selling operational and resource management systems to airports, so enterprise, fairly sort of big ticket stuff. And then six years ago, I made a crazy decision to leave that behind, a well-paid, stable job and started working with my current partner, Callum Kilgower. Fantastic chap. And yeah, we've been doing that for the last six years. So organizations bring us in, bring us in because they are probably losing more than their fair share to no decision or the status quo, or losing more than they would like to com- competition. And when it when you boil it down and look at what they're doing, often the conventional wisdom that they're following is doing more harm than good. So they bring us in particularly to focus on account execs and those early conversations from qual discovery through to shaping enterprise deals, multi-stakeholder deals. So that's that's a brief history of of how we got here. Fantastic. Um, and to yeah, to start off um, and kind of using all that experience, we we do um, we also like to to ask the question: What does re- redefining outbound um, mean to you, you know, it's the title of the show. So what, what does, um, redefining outbound mean to you, John? That's a good question. I, I think the bar is set fairly low on outbound and outreach. If that's what we're talking about in terms of messaging, email messaging, LinkedIn outreach, the bar is, fe- is set very, very low. And we can dive into some of the psychology, the buyer psychology, but human beings are good at spotting patterns. And there's a couple of patterns that are triggered when they get outreach. One is, this is a seller. This looks very familiar. It sounds like someone trying to sell me something. And secondly, we also hold biases. And one of the biases that's quite prevalent is a stereotype bias, which is a negative bias associated with sellers. So Dan Pink, who wrote a fantastic book to sell as human, he did a study. He asked a couple of thousand people, What's the first word that springs to mind when you think of a salesperson? 
I'll ask you the question. And you might give me a positive response. I don't know, given your role. I love sellers. Actually, do you know what? Um, a fact about me is I absolutely hate being sold to. That is my right. least favorite thing in the world. Yep. Um, so, which I think is probably pretty similar to everybody. And I'm, I'm in sales, so it probably says a lot. Yeah, me too. So what, what is the first word that springs to your mind if you think about a salesperson? Oh, it's difficult. I mean... Um, you don't want to upset sle- anyone. <laughs> like sleazy, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. So that, that was one of the common responses. Dan collated his, his responses in a word cloud and about 85% of the words were negative, very negative. So sleazy, pushy, manipulative, controlling, uncomfortable, untrustworthy. So the problem is even before you open your mouth as a seller, that bias is likely to be triggered in your prospect's head. So they see this message come in. They all kind of sound the same. They all use very persuasive copy. They confuse marketing copy with how humans speak and think. And there's a pattern that's triggered straight away. Here's a seller trying to sell me something. And if you're lucky enough to get through the spam filter, which isn't always the case, you're more than likely going to get ignored because that pattern is triggered. It's a seller. They're trying to persuade. They're giving me all this value prop stuff, and it all sounds kind of the same. But at the end of the day, the intent is to try and sell. And like you said, no one likes to be, you know, to feel like they're being sold to. So I think the bar set low when it comes to outbound. If if there's one thing to aim for in outbound, there's one emotion that you want to trigger fairly quickly and instantly, and that emotion's curiosity. That's the one northern star that you should be aiming for in that first message is, can you say something very succinctly that simply triggers their curiosity into them thinking, David knows something that I don't and something I should. So I want to speak to David. And I think where most sellers go wrong is they try and deliver too much in that opening email. It's a big value prop, a big tome. It's, hi, David, we've helped people like you triple our conversion rates with our unique methodology at Slingshot Edge. We've been doing this for 10, 15 years, helping customers increase revenue, improve win rates. We've got all these awards and... I'd love to chat to you about that in a bit more detail as Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Good. And that and there's some good stuff in there potentially, but your prospect just sees the pattern seller and they just instantly ignore that. So I think there's a big opportunity for organizations to get better. Um, the bar is pretty, pretty poor in my experience. Mm. That all makes a lot of sense. And, and so what, are you seeing right now as like the biggest challenge that these organizations are facing um, when it comes to, to their sales motions? Biggest challenge probably right now is uh, actually competing against the status quo. So if you look at a typical enterprise funnel, this isn't you, but I think it's getting worse. Um, probably more than half of a funnel, a B2B enterprise SaaS solution tech funnel ends up with the prospect doing nothing differently. So they engage in a conversation. They might even engage in a fairly lengthy and resource-intensive evaluation. But at the end of the day, more than half of that funnel sticks with the status quo. And I think that kind of leans back to what we're saying at the start. A lot of conventional wisdom is actually doing more harm than good. So sellers are taught to do things. They're encouraged to do things. And the data shows that actually a lot of those things hurt hurt sellers. Mm. I've seen I've seen that um, that is your tagline, right? On LinkedIn, at least, it's the conventional wisdom kills 
kills deals. Can you can you kind of expand on that? Like, what I'm, I'm super um, curious to to understand, like what like I suppose if if there's any particular examples that you think like are so prevalent right now. Yeah, I think particularly now people are conscious that to get a, a, a sale done, if you like, or a deal done, the business case has to be solid. So there's this propensity to encourage sellers to lead with ROI style messaging. So lead with the value, right? And value itself is a bit abstract, but lead with ROI style messaging. Sell the benefits, the efficiency gains, the cost savings. The data shows that when you lead as a seller with ROI style messages, you actually lose more deals. There's a correlation with lower close rates, which is a bit confusing. So that's that's conventional wisdom, right? What else? Uh, when deals stick, so if you've got indecisive prospects, and most prospects are indecisive at some point in their buying motion, if they do buy, but when those deals stick, sellers are encouraged to go back to their prospects and say, look, here's all the problems that you said you had with your status quo. Here's all the negative impacts, the cost of an action, all of those problems. And again, that sounds like a fantastic thing to do. It makes sense. Remind them of why they started speaking to you in the first place and why that status quo is not a fantastic place to be. But there was a huge bit of work that came out last year. I don't know if you've read it by the guys that wrote The Jolt Effect. I think so. Good book, recommend it to your sellers. It was written by Ted McKenna and Matt Dixon. Matt Dixon, who wrote Challenger Sale. And they found the biggest reason that prospects stick with their status quo is not because their status quo is good. It's because they're afraid to make a decision to change. So when sellers go back in there with these indecisive prospects and say, look, here's all all the negative stuff associated with that status quo, they're really just amping up the negative emotion and almost paralyzing prospects into inaction. And what Matt and Ted found is that when sellers lead with that conventional wisdom approach, they actually turn off more prospects and lose more deals. So top producers are doing something very differently. And a lot of that doesn't make sense. Leading with ROI doesn't, you know, you lose more deals, reminding prospects of the, the pain of the status quo, you lose more deals. It makes sense when you start to peel back the hood and look into the mind of the buyer and understand some of the biases and heuristics that are driving their thinking and decisions. Okay. So I'd love to go, I mean, that, you know, that that's really interesting to me. I'd love to go back to the, like, you know, um, leading with a value prop is, do, is doing, like, more harm than good. Um, I, I suppose I, I can't. I'd love to know the psychology behind that, but also like what 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 are you seeing as the the maybe like top level um like what are you seeing as the solution or like the the suggested action um like on that is that is that because of what you mentioned before that the um that it's just a trigger to everybody of like this is a salesperson or is it or is it deeper than that that is definitely part of it. There is that pattern that's triggered, and uh, there's a, a a lack of trust. It's, you know, when you first meet a, a prospect, it's likely the prospect doesn't trust you particularly. So that definitely comes into play. One of the models you can look at when you start to look at the mind, and we've got two Bibles really. So our, our customers reference two two Bibles or pieces of work. One of those is a book by a guy called Danny Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. So he won a Nobel Prize for behavioral economics. And he was studying how humans think and make decisions and perceive value. And he talks about two systems. Again, I don't know if you've read that book or if you're familiar with that book. I'm I'm familiar with it. I I can't say I've read it. 
So he talks about two systems, system one and system two. System one's very fast thinking. It's intuitive. Skill lives in system one as well, intuitive skill. But it's also very emotional. And then system two is logical, analytical, rational. It's, it's a slow thinking, conscious thinking you. So we take that model, which is a little bit abstract, and we also reference another book, The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters. Right, okay, so you know the chimp and the human? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So system one and system two map nicely onto the chimp and human. So this chimp, Steve Peters, he's a psychiatrist for those that haven't read it. Uh, he talks about the mind with these two characters, the chimp, this emotional, very curious, sometimes irrational chimp, and this very logical, rational, analytical human. And that maps quite nicely onto Kahneman's work. And uh, if you've read the book, one of the takeaways is this chimp is a very powerful decision maker. So if you're driving down the road and someone cuts you up and you instantly start maybe swearing, I'm sure you don't do that, it's probably just me, maybe gesticulating with your hands and fingers, that's your chimp. And then maybe three or four seconds later, you're like, I shouldn't have done that. You feel regret. That's the human coming into the conversation, but too late. So the chimp reacts first. It gets the first opportunity to react to information. It's an emotional thinker. It's not a logical thinker. It can think logically, but it comes from a place of emotion. So when sellers are going in there and talking about ROI, a couple of things are going on. The chimp is an emotional thinker. It doesn't quite get ROI. It doesn't trust the seller. So the chimp holds that stereotype bias. It's the one that does the pattern recognition. And it's thinking, that's a seller. I don't trust sellers. They're all about themselves. They're trying to push and sell. So this ROI thing that I don't quite get is business value. What's in it for me? Don't quite get it anyway. And I don't really believe it. So people are probably listening to this and saying, but surely ROI is important. And it is important. But the key thing, the key takeaway is, it's an intellectual justification of a decision. And it is important once the chimp emotionally feels invested in change. Once the chimp feels that change is the right thing to do, it will then look for the evidence to support a decision. So when I bought my Tesla a few years ago, I test drove it. I thought, this is amazing. I've never driven anything like this in my life. I thought, I have to have one. But I, let, let me go home. I look at the spreadsheet. I did the numbers, looked at uh, you know, what it would cost over four or five years and convinced myself that it would cost as much as getting a cheap secondhand petrol or diesel run around. But my decision was made up already. I had driven that Tesla and uh, I was now just trying to justify. So I think that's the challenge. Sellers are going in too early with logical messaging. Um, messaging that often doesn't speak to the what's in it for your potential champion. It speaks of business value, maybe. But the champion's thinking, okay, so this is change. It's a software project or a tech project. How many tech projects fail? They don't deliver their benefits. Mm. So this, if we do succeed, this benefits the business. If it fails, and I've driven or advocated for change, I'm the champion, essentially, then that's my neck on the line. So this chimp becomes fearful. It starts to think if it fails, that's my reputation on the line, potentially my job on the line. For what? To save the company some money? So they've done a lot of study on this and, and this fear is actually strangling the growth of a lot of companies. People are afraid to put their head above the parapet and push or advocate projects and drive change because of the, reper you know, the repercussion of failure on themselves. So I, th I think for... For sellers, they need to understand value and, and really what that means for the chimp as well. That's that's probably 
the key to unlocking it. That's so interesting. Um, and so I think like I was doing some reading and, and Slingshot Edge's big message is about mapping your prospect's decision-making brain, which I think is what you've just touched on there, right? Um, can you give us any like you know practical advice in terms of like how how do we do that how do we how um you know obviously we've got lots of tools at our disposal i think most most sellers hopefully do it right now certainly in terms of the internet and etc but like how how do we work out like what's what 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 the what is in what is in it excuse me what is Mm -hmm. in it for the individual as opposed to just the business um yeah so so mapping out so value itself is abstracted. If I asked you what value means, you'd probably give me one answer. Be now might give me something else. You'd get a multitude of answers. But I think there's a model that sellers can think about. And they, you can think about value in three dimensions, three dimensions of value. So the first dimension to think about is business value, how you, Cognizant, help your prospect, help their prospect win. So make more money, increase profit revenue, so on and so forth. The second dimension is professional value. So that's what you were now talking at the champion level or potential champion level. You're my champion. Professional value is how can I help you do your job easier, faster, less stress, less hassle, and do a better job if you like. The third dimension that sellers need to think about, and this is the key one, is identity value. And that's how I help you increase your sense of personal value. So how do I help you improve your reputation? How do I help you get more recognition internally? How do I help you elevate your status? Or if you're passionate about something, like driving a, an environment that nurtures and develops your talent, how do I help you align with that personal mission that you've got? Now, the interesting thing is Gartner did a study on this and found the only dimensional value that, that correlates with someone's likelihood to advocate and drive change is identity value. How do I help you, the individual? And uh, so if you want to, to develop a champion, you have to speak to that sense of identity value. And that means understanding things like how do you get measured? What are your KPIs? Because at the end of the year, when you sit down with your leadership team and they assess your performance, they can look at your KPIs. If you're a seller, it's very transparent. They can look at your quota attainment. So if you fail to hit KPIs, your reputation hangs off that. And the chimp cares deeply about its reputation and how it's perceived by other people. So how do I help you improve your profile, your reputation, recognition? So that's why it's really important in in discovery to understand what your champion cares about, how they're potentially measured. Um, when When you talk about value, there's two ends to value, really. So on one end, you've got pain, and there's three dimensions of pain that correlate with those, those three dimensions of value. And the other end, is, there's desire. So there has to be a desire to get somewhere. So again, there's three dimensions of desire, professional, business, and identity. And the contrast between those two ends of that spectrum is the value that you bring, the pain to the pleasure. So going into discovery and understanding and trying to discover those dimensions of pain, understand the desire, again, across those three dimensions, That's important. But even before you go into discovery, you should have a pretty good idea. If you're selling software to supply chain leaders or if I'm selling services to CROs or VPs of sales enablement, I should have a pretty good idea of 
those models before I go in there. I should understand the types of struggles and pains that you have on a professional level. I should understand the typical KPIs that you get measured against and what you probably care about. I don't know at all. I'm going to discover some of this if you feel safe enough opening up. That's another challenge. Um, And I should also understand that the business impact or pain if you don't solve these problems. So I can ask much better, more pointed questions to try and expose what this value model looks like for you specifically. So I think understanding those three dimensions of value and understanding its identity value that drives and develops champions. And that's where the chimp chimp firmly lives. Okay. That's great. That's really, really great. And and so um, if we're putting it all together, you know, last day of Q3 for most people, if you're running a typical calendar year um, uh, today, going into Q4, like how should sales leaders be bringing this all together? Um, you know, yeah. What advice would you give there? I, I would say there's a few things I would say to give you confidence that your opportunities are robust, I would run them through that model that I've just described. So for each opportunity that's in flight, how much do you know when it comes to looking at that three dimensions of pain and and desire? Because that's where motivation lives. And if the biggest deal killer is the status quo, if there's not enough motivation to change, they're not gonna change. You're gonna get ghosted at some point, they're gonna disengage, they're gonna stick with their incumbent. So understanding that model and running your opportunities through that lens is really important. That's going to give you an indication of the motivation, the intrinsic motivation to change. The other part of that model then looks at root cause. So what is preventing the customer, the prospect, actually changing and moving on that journey? Understanding the problem root causes. Because that's where you fit in as a vendor. So cognizant solve particular problems. So if you don't understand the problem root cause as a seller, how do you know you're a good fit? You don't. <laughs> so understanding the root cause, and the way to think about that is the root cause is really a combination of two things. It's how your customers are trying to do the job today. Without you, they've been managing just fine. But something, if they have a problem, must have changed in their world. That could be internal change, new leadership, new goals, new strategy. It could be external change new regulations, competitive market has changed, customer expectations have changed. And the intersection of that change and their current approach, well, that's now putting pressure on their current approach and that creates a problem. There's a root cause. They've now got a capability gap exposed. And that capability gap is causing three dimensions of pain. And they want to get to those three dimensions of desire. So if you understand that model, that's going to give you a lot of confidence on how robust your opportunities are. And if you've got gaps and you've still got the opportunity to go back in there and do more discovery, then you've got a framework now that you can that you can map to. So that, that's, that's probably a, a big one. If you're looking for confidence on the robustness of your opportunities, just run it through that model. Awesome. John, thank you so much. That's all the time that we have today, but it's been so, so interesting. Um, I, I'm a massive fan of kind of like the psychology of sales and I think you've, um, you speak so eloquently about it all. Um, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for bringing us on. It was a pleasure. So you can check out our website, which is www.slingshotedge.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn. We publish chimp strips which tries to give sellers very practical conversational breakdowns 
often sellers are told what to do, but they want help with how do you actually do that? How do you make your prospect feel safe? How do you break through that stereotype bias? So the chimp strips go, go into very tactical type conversations and, and give sellers some direction on having those conversations. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. And um, we'll, uh, for any listeners, uh, we'll be back very soon. Thank you.